Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. It's such a blessing to worship with you all today. For those who may not know me, my name is Becky Pritchard. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And it is always a joy for me to dig into scripture here in this service with you all uh, today. We have officially entered the season of Lent, as you can tell from our stoles and our pyramid, which is now purple. We are in the liturgical season of Lent, which is the 40 days minus Sundays before Easter, where we prepare our hearts for the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and the celebration of his resurrection on Easter Sunday. If you were not with us this past Wednesday, we had a beautiful service, which was on Ash Wednesday, which marks the beginning of the season of Lent. You can go back online and watch that if you missed it, but it was a great opportunity for us, not only corporately, to confess our sins, admitting that we are human, unfortunately, that we are mortal and that we are dust. And without the hope of Jesus Christ, we would be left to be just dust if it weren't for our eternal life with Jesus. So what a great opportunity to celebrate God's promises for us in this season of Lent. We were marked with ashes to remind us of this truth, recognizing God's sovereign grace upon us. Speaking of God's faithfulness, I wanted to take a quick moment before we dive right into scripture to mention how incredibly faithful God has been to this congregation. In 2023, we got a report this last Monday at our uh, session meeting from our treasurer, Elder John Bass, about very exciting news when it comes to our budget. We, as First Presbyterian Church, has been bl- have been blessed, you all have been blessed to give over $1.3 million in 2023 to local and global missions, to our benevolence committees, to give out to church plants and other community um, communities in our midst here in San Antonio and across the world. That's huge news. Praise be to God for his faithfulness to this church so that we might bless others over 23% of our budget going out into this world for God's kingdom on this planet. So we can give thanks for God's goodness to us. As we have been studying God's faithfulness in the book of Genesis this year, we've looked at Abram and Sarai as God's people whom he has called to be the the father of great nations. God has been faithful, unwavering, steady in his love for his people, despite the ups and the downs of Abram and Sarai's volatile human faith. He is always faithful. So as we continue our study of Genesis today, we turn to another dramatic narrative. I invite you to really dig in with me into Genesis chapter 16. This is like a soap opera. Forget all the stuff you watch on TV. Genesis is where all the drama is happening. So I invite you to turn to Genesis 16 and we see Abram and Sarai as they continue to wait for the promise of a son the promise that God has made to them that he would deliver an heir to them that would carry on 
the faith for generations and generations. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16 as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For those who may have heard the sermons from last Sunday, whether in person or online, we studied Genesis 15, the chapter that comes right before what we just read. And we read about a pretty significant encounter between God and Abram. In Genesis 15, Abram is crying out to God again, where is the heir that you've promised me? And even though God had promised Abram this heir, Sarai was still not pregnant. And so in his frustration and his doubt, Abram was thinking maybe a servant or a relative would have to gain the inheritance, would have to be the heir. But God re-upped on his commitment and his promise to Abram, reminding him again that his offspring will be greater than the stars in the sky. God put Abram into a deep sleep while he performed the sign, the ritual of a covenant. If you remember splitting the, the animals in two, letting the blood drain down, God upholding both ends of the promise, knowing that Abram couldn't be faithful completely. This was not just a ritual, but an extreme gesture, as Pastor Bob called it last week, by God towards Abram. So after reading that chapter, we may be coming into this chapter thinking, wow, Abram, you are like on top of it. You must be boosted by this covenant. You must be reminded and encouraged by God's love for you. You must be stronger than ever to encounter these next few days and weeks. But the fickleness and doubtfulness of humanity bubbles up. It comes to the surface once again as we look to chapter 16. The chapter starts in verse 1 with an update. We are um, notified that Sarai had still not yet gotten pregnant. They had been waiting for 10 long years at this point for a child, and Sarai is not getting any younger. So she is beginning to doubt, as any of us would. Have you waited for 10 years for something to happen before? It's a long, long time to wait. 
Sarai says to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Sarai has been very patient to a point. It's been 10 years of living in Canaan. The promise had been given 10 years ago and she's still not pregnant. She's doubting God's promise and provision for a child. So she decides to take things into her own hands. Verse one says that Sarai had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. How convenient. A woman of childbearing age living right under their tent roof with them, serving day in and day out to Sarai. She's there ready and Sarai offers her to Abram to marry so that they might conceive a child. Basically, she's saying, if the Lord prevents me from getting pregnant, from having a child, then we'll see to it that Abram has that heir that he was promised. Even if it's through my servant, even if it's not me, she's determined to make this work. She is using her human control to manipulate the pieces, to move people around, to make it work for her even though she has to sacrifice her own wants and her own needs and her own pride as Abram's wife. Remember, up to this point, God has promised that the heir would come from Abram's seed. It's not till later that he promises that Sarai will be the one to birth a child. So at this point, Sarai is thinking, well, it may not be me as long as it's from Abram, as long as it's his bloodline, That must be all that matters. So how does Abram respond? We would think, again, after chapter 15, he's ready, he's boosted, he's he's cried out to God with the same reasoning, hey, where's that child you planned that you promised for us? That he might be totally ready to tell Sarai, let's wait, God has promised. Remember the blood and the splitting of of the animals? Let's wait because God has promised a baby. Instead, at the end of verse two, the scripture says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, what's the problem with that? Abram did the right thing. He listened to his wife. Any women in here saying, yeah, that's right. Because in marriage, we're supposed to listen to one another. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens together as we walk through desperate times, trying to figure out solutions that will help us through the difficulties. Unfortunately, in this case, their desires to control and to have this plan play out on their timetable was louder than their desire and their faith for God to provide. So Abram and Sarai both fell into their desperation. They, instead of listening to God and waiting on God's time, Abram married Hagar and tried to conceive a child with her. Now, as you and I read this passage in 2024, we look at it as a little shocking. I would never offer my husband to another woman to try to conceive a child. I don't know about you all, but that's sort of my level of standards in 2024. However, at the context of the day, this was very common. And it was not yet illegal to have multiple wives or concubines. It was not what God intended for the gift of marriage between a man and a woman, but it wasn't against the law, and it was a common practice of the day. In fact, as we look ahead, we see in other scriptures 
Like Genesis 30, Rachel was married to Jacob and she was barren. So she offered Jacob to her servant to conceive a child. Again, Hannah in 1 Samuel offered her husband, his other wife, to bear children as he had two wives. So this isn't quite as outrageous as it feels to us as we read this scripture when we place ourselves in the day. It still wasn't good. Let's just, let's just be honest there. And we, we know that, that Sarai's just so desperate. Have you ever been just so desperate that you just don't make a very good choice because you just want something to change? Instead of waiting on the Lord, she takes action and she gives Hagar to Abram. But quickly, we see her and Abram's actions begin to have some really big negative consequences. Verse four says, Abram and Hagar conceived a child. And when Hagar realized she was with child, she began to look down on her mistress, Sarai. Now, Hagar is a maid. She is a foreigner. She is not worthy of anything. She is the lowest of the low. But suddenly... The tables have turned as she was able to conceive and do something that Sarai has never been able to do. Culturally, being able to conceive is a huge deal when women cannot do the job that their bodies are supposed to do, especially in this time, they were stigmatized, they were shamed. And so now that Hagar is pregnant with Abram's child, she has a bit of a one-up on Sarai. And she's, there's an element of haughtiness that Hagar looks down on Sarai with. And ooh, Sarah didn't like that. No, she didn't. Would you like it, right? All of a sudden, your maidservant who's supposed to serve your every need is like walking around with this baby from your husband in her belly. And yikes, look at verse five. It says, and Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked down on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarai, although she orchestrated this whole plan, is now blaming Abram. Like it's his fault, right? Like he had the idea to go with Hagar. Like he had the idea to go and marry her. All of a sudden, Sarah's like, what'd you do? Why'd you do that? And Abram's like, I don't know, I don't know. You told me to do this and now you're mad at me and I don't really know what to do. And Abram's caught in the middle. He's not innocent here, but he's caught in the middle, right? She's so quick to blame. How many of us do that, right? We're caught in a bad situation. We're, we're, we, we manipulate things to make it work out for us. And when it doesn't, we're like, it's his fault. I didn't do it, right? We point to the person next to us or we blame, blame God even. God, you aren't getting me pregnant. It's your fault that I had to go and make Hagar my husband's wife. She orchestrated this entire thing and it didn't turn out as she hoped. The human emotions have bubbled to the surface. She's realizing that her plan, she wasn't really anticipating the way that she might feel once it actually took place that Hagar was able to conceive. And so suddenly she's really upset now that Hagar is acting sort of better than her. Sarai is not bringing her best foot to the table. It's easy for me to want to judge Sarai in this passage. I don't know about you, but it's like, golly, come on, Sarai. You, you're the one that orchestrated this. Your poor husband was caught in the middle of it. You told him to go and now you're mad at him. It's your fault, right? But let's, 
let's try for one minute to put ourselves in her shoes, okay? Let's try to imagine how she was feeling. Remember, she's old. Nobody likes getting old. I'm almost 40. I know you're going to laugh at me, but I wake up in the morning and I am like achy. It's hard to get out of bed. No, I mean, getting old is not for the faint of heart. You'll be coming back to me in 40 years going, how's it feel now? But nevertheless, nobody likes to be old and, and she's barren. She, her body is not doing what it's intended to do to, to, to give birth to a son, to conceive and give birth of a son. There was a ton of shame and stigma that she was feeling, embarrassment that went along with all of this. But throw on top of that this wonderful, miraculous promise from God that wasn't happening. Ten years that Abram's descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. She had some hope that something would change, and yet nothing was happening. She waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. She cried out to God. She was faithful for him to deliver on his promise, and she just got older and older, and she did not conceive. Sarai was truly desperate. When we get in a place of desperation, we don't make great decisions. We don't act in the best ways that God intends. I think that any one of us would have felt the same way as Sarai. Have you ever felt this desperate? You just want it so bad. You've been praying. You try to make deals with God, negotiate. I'll be, you know, I'll be really good if I can just get 100 on this test. I promise I won't do that bad thing again if you can just make sure to do X, Y, and Z in my life. You want an answer. Nothing's been happening. You've been waiting, and nothing has changed. Our broken human condition is such that we have very little patience. We want control. We're good at it. We're equipped as gifted people created by God to do good things in the world. And so we think in our own strength and power, we can make things happen. And even though we trust God in our heads, we know the stories of scripture. We know that God has shown up. We know that God is faithful and he will continue to be faithful. We can even look back one or two, three, four years and go, yeah, God was faithful in that moment to me. Even though it didn't turn out as I expected, God was faithful. But yet in the moment, even though it's all up here, the 12 inches between our heads and our hearts feels like a long distance where we believe it in our heads, but we don't follow God with our hearts. We, we, we know it to be true, but we don't trust in God's provision. This certainly hits home for me, the idea of being impatient and wanting control. It's hard for me even to have patience for my four and seven-year-old to put their shoes on in the morning. That's how impatient I am. To get out the door, we've got to get going, get your shoes on, I just jump in there and do it for them. Thankfully, they'll learn to tie their shoes at some point in their lives. But it really is our control, our need. It's my timetable. Let's get going. And that's something so small. But imagine something this big as conceiving a child, a miraculous gift from God that is so much more, so much to be, to be hopeful for, to anticipate, and yet nothing's happening. In verse 6, it says, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Abram's a little caught in the middle, right? He's like, you told me to do this, and now I did it. Now you're mad. Which is it? I don't know. I'm just not going to say anything. She's your servant. Do what you want. He's not going to get involved here because he's already feeling like he's made a mistake, and he just wants her to be happy. 
He loves Sarai and he wants her to be pleased and she's blaming him and he doesn't know what to do and he's confused. And so he says, do with her what you please. He throws his hands up and in verse, the end of verse six, it says, then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Out of anger, Sarai does not treat Hagar well. Abram throws his hands up, says, deal with her as you will. And Sarai goes beyond just mere jealousy into anger, frustration. Hagar leaves and runs away because she cannot handle the abuse that she's receiving from Sarai. Her behavior is more than just that jealousy, but there's pride and sadness, impatience and loss that Sarai is acting out from boiling up into doubt and fear, and she is not treating Hagar well. Again, on the outside looking in, it's so easy to look down our noses at Sarai and say, golly, come on, girl, let's be a little bit more gracious. You're the one that, you know, made all this happen. But really, we're just like her. We have a great plan in our minds to do things our certain ways, and when it doesn't turn out that way, we sort of freak out and we you know, blame or we, we, we don't behave well, we react. How many times in our lives have we been impatient for God's timing to unfold and we've taken things into our own hands? Trusting God in our heads, yeah, God's gonna provide. Saying it out to our church community, God provides. God is faithful, but not following God with our hearts and our lives, not allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us, to lead us into reminding us that God is faithful. Just as Scott beautifully prayed earlier in our service, there's a lot that we are waiting on. As human beings walking in this broken earth, we are desperate for answers to life's big questions, to the things that keep us up in the middle of the night, the things that make us sad and scared. And sometimes we just need God to move now. Maybe you're waiting to hear from that college that you're desperate to get into, but you're not sure you have the grades to get in. Maybe like Sarai, you are hoping to conceive a child, but you have been unable to get pregnant. You're waiting on what the Lord will reveal for you and your family because the plans have not gone as you expected. Maybe you're waiting to hear about that job that you so desperately need to pay next month's rent. Or maybe you're waiting on a medical diagnosis, unsure of what is to come, anxious, flooded, worried, not trusting in God's provision, but listening too much to the sounds around you of the world. And even though we know that God will provide, what scripture has taught us, the way that we've seen God work in the lives of those who have come before us, we are so tempted to doubt, to feel like the victim, to feel like all this is happening to us, poor me, Why can't my life be better, easier, quicker? Why can't things happen now? Rather than taking a step back, seeing God's purposes as bigger and greater than what we can see right in front of our faces. 
That's why it's good to look back on our lives and see where God showed up. That's why it's good to look back into scripture and to see, gosh, God was faithful to Abram and Sarai and God was faithful to Moses and God was faithful to all that came after. God promised a son, Jesus Christ, that was fully God and fully human to come and to die, to live and to die and to be raised from the dead so that we might have eternal life. He has made true on those promises and he promises that Christ will return. And in this in-between time, sometimes we lose faith and we doubt, is God, is Jesus really coming back? Save us, Lord, from the pain of this world. Here's the good news. The story about Sarai and Hagar does not end in verse 6. Your homework for today is to go home and read the last 10 verses of chapter 16. It's only 10 verses. It'll take you about five minutes. You can do it on the way home. Well, not if you're driving, but you know what I mean. The person in the front seat can read it to you. I'll give you a little sneak peek. After Hagar leaves, she's been dealt with harshly. She's pregnant with Abram's son. She's totally alone. She goes into the wilderness. She's headed back towards Egypt, which is her homeland. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but this is really good. It doesn't end with this harsh treatment, but it ends with God meeting her in the wilderness by herself. The angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her that she will be blessed and her son Ishmael will be blessed. It's going to be hard. People will not get along with Ishmael. It's going to be divisive because of the way that this mess occurred. But God is in the mess with her. God encourages her to go back to Sarai to restore the relationship with her mistress, to reconcile what had gone wrong, and to continue to serve alongside Abram and Sarai. Sarai messed it all up, just like you and I do. But God was with all of them in the mess. God redeems what he allows. And God is a God of redemption despite our human fickleness, our ups and our downs, our faith and our doubt. He redeems in the midst of all of that. Despite the unfaithfulness of Sarai and Abram, God remains steadfast. My prayer for us all today is that we would dwell in these words of scripture. Let them fall upon us, not just in this room here, but as we go from here, being reminded through the week of the moments where we want to take control, where we don't want to wait, where we're impatient, and instead flip that remembering to be anticipatory of God's goodness, looking out for where God might show up, looking out for the places that God will reach in and move in our lives, even if they're subtle. And if we don't see anything, to gather together with those who also believe to be encouraged, to boost one another up, to ask for prayers, say, I need help. I need you to pray for me because I am losing my faith right now and I am doubting that God will provide that we would look back in our own lives and see where God has been faithful. Looking at the times when we've taken things into our own hands and it has not turned out so well, but seeing that God redeems even those moments. Friends, this is not easy. There's not a light switch that we can turn on and go, good, now I believe all the time I'm perfectly faithful and I never go wrong. If there was, I would be flipping it all the time. It's not working. This light switch is not going on because we are broken humans, still sinful beings. And until Christ returns and we're living on this broken earth, we have to live in that mess. 
fighting the temptation to doubt, fighting the temptation to fear, fighting the temptation to control, laying it at the feet of Jesus when we mess up, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to transform our hearts and our minds, the renewing of our minds so that we might become more like Christ Jesus. This comforter, this Holy Spirit is with us so that we might be encouraged to encourage one another so that we might remember that God is in control. We cannot do this on our own power, but it is the power of God within us so that we might give him glory when we tell our stories, when we share our testimonies, when we share the love of Jesus, when we share that God has provided overabundant monetary gifts to this church to give out to the world, that we may give God the glory, not because of what we have done. Let us go from here today encouraged by God's word, filled by the Holy Spirit, encouraged by the fellowship of believers in this place so we might be strengthened to share this love and grace with the world. Let us pray. Heavenly, gracious God, we give you thanks for your only son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to this earth to live and to teach and to walk and to to show us how to be your people. You sent him to die so that we might have life everlasting. He rose from the grave. And as we anticipate the season of Easter in this, in this season of Lent, we're face to face with our sin and our morality. May we bring you all glory and honor and praise, recognizing that you are faithful even when we are unfaithful. Help us, Lord, to cling to your promises, to share them with others, to remind one another, to hold fast to what is good and true. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.